Well, happy Easter to you again. Wish we could all be together, unsocially distanced, but we can't right now, obviously. So thanks for watching. I hope this video encourages you this Easter morning. We're going to look at the Gospel of John in chapter 20. The words will appear on your screen. John was one of Jesus' closest followers, and he wrote this account of Jesus' life called the Gospel of John, or the Book of John. And we're in chapter 20. In the movie Grand Canyon, an attorney is in L.A., and he tries to get around an L.A. traffic jam, gets off the freeway, and gets lost in a not-so-great part of L.A. Then his luxury car breaks down, and he calls for a tow truck. But before the tow truck can arrive, five men surround his car and threaten him. They want his car and they have a gun. Then just in the nick of time, the tow truck driver arrives, played by Danny Glover. And he hooks up the man's car to the tow truck and the threatening guys protest. I mean, they've got plans for the guy and his car and they're not nice plans. So the tow truck driver takes the group leader aside and says, quote, Man, the world ain't supposed to work like this. Maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to be able to do my job without asking you if I can, and that dude's supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. Now, those five sentences are a really good summation of the human predicament in general and what we're experiencing right now. Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. I mean, sickness always abounds. But right now, it's in our faces. Death is around us all the time. But right now, we're especially noticing on top of that, there are real emotional challenges that are just as real. I experience now anxiety just going to the grocery store. I didn't ever experience anxiety going to the grocery store before, but now I'm anxious about every human interaction, keeping them at a distance, wondering if they have the virus or not. Will they give the virus to me? Look, everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. And not only that, maybe your life was already challenging before COVID-19. Maybe relational breakdowns, or job issues, or health problems, or financial problems had already made life hard for you. But whatever the reason, all of us can identify with the fact that everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. And into this pain, into this situation, into our predicament, Easter arrives. And Easter brings hope. Hope that one day, everything will be the way it's supposed to be. Let me explain from our passage. You caught the background, I trust. Jesus has been crucified, executed Roman style, which means they humiliated you and tortured you until you essentially suffocated to death on a cross. Jesus is then taken down from the cross. Two friends take his corpse to a tomb, 
A large stone is put in front of the entrance to the tomb where Jesus' body is placed, and his friends take the Passover, the Jewish Passover, to grieve. Then on the first day of the week, Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, and to her surprise, the stone is rolled away. She runs back to tell Jesus' disciples, and Peter and John come running and find the tomb empty and only some neatly folded grave clothes inside. They are perplexed and go back home. But Mary stays, weeping. And then she looks inside the tomb again and sees two angels, two angels who cannot understand why Mary would be weeping. And then she turns around and she encounters someone she initially thinks is the gardener until he says in a familiar voice, Mary. She realizes instantly who it is. It's Jesus and he's alive. She clings to him. And he tells her to go back and tell his disciples, which she does, saying, I have seen the Lord. Now, pick it up in verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. The doors are locked, the disciples huddling together out of fear of the religious leaders when Jesus shows up unannounced in their midst. He has a real physical body, but it's a superior body as well, you might say. The doors are locked, he suddenly appears, and his message to them is peace. Peace be with you. Then again, verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, his now glorified wounds, proving it really was him. This is not a hallucination. They are not imagining things. Their friend who was crucified and buried really is alive. The disciples, it says, were glad when they saw the Lord. I think that's an understatement. They were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. If we read down to verse 26, we'd say, we'd see rather Jesus saying the same thing again to his disciples eight days later, peace be with you. Three times in just a few verses, we find Jesus saying the same thing, peace be with you. It's, it's the standard Jewish greeting, still used today, shalom or peace. To you. But from the mouth of someone who has just risen from the dead, these words are not just a greeting. They are hugely significant. So I want to ask you, what, what does this peace mean? What does this peace mean coming from the lips of the risen Jesus Christ? Well, the book of John was written in Greek originally, but this peace, this peace is a Jewish idea. Jesus is a Jewish man here speaking to his Jewish followers. It's the Jewish background to this peace we must understand. And we find that in the Old Testament portion of our Bibles. 
See, we think of peace, we think of peace usually as an emotional peace, or maybe an absence of hostility. But the Jewish idea of peace, of shalom, is much richer and broader than that. Shalom is perfect well-being, it's soundness, it's wholeness. And when you survey the Old Testament, you find the, the background, the explanation of this shalom, this well-being, falls out into two basic categories. Reconciliation and restoration. I want to think with you of Jesus' words in those two categories, given that background. Reconciliation and restoration. First, his peace as reconciliation. You see this aspect of shalom, of peace, especially in the, the sacrificial system described in the Old Testament, in especially what were called the peace offerings, literally offerings for shalom. They appear many times, in fact, 87 times in the Old Testament by my count. As some Bible, Bible translations refer to them as fellowship offerings, and there's a reason for that. It's because the worshiper would eat this sacrificial meal in the presence of God, as a picture of having fellowship with God, relationship with God, a, a picture of reconciliation with God through these offerings. But that reconciliation involved a sacrifice. An animal was killed, its, its blood poured out, which seems so primitive to us, even gross. But the message was clear, and the message was constant. Reconciliation with God costs a life. You see, there's a problem between us and God, and intuitively I think we know this. Intuitively we know Things aren't supposed to be the way they are. Things aren't supposed to be like this, even with ourselves. I recently read that more and more Americans are turning to practices of meditation. And the reason the article gave was because of the increasing mental health disorders we're all experiencing. The article said, quote, Therapy's expensive but a meditation class costs 12 bucks. My point is simply, we know there's a problem. We, we feel this, we experience it in so many ways and we're trying to fix it somehow. But the Bible explains that problem. It tells of a global pandemic beneath the current pandemic. The, the global pandemic of sin as serious as COVID-19 is, and it is serious, the pandemic of sin is even more dangerous. All of us are effect, infected by it from birth, and then it causes all kinds of sorrow and suffering in our lives and produces death in every single case. There's no vaccine for this pandemic, no way to prevent infection, but there is a cure. Those peace offerings, those fellowship offerings, were pointing forward to the cure. They were, they were stopgap measures 
to point forward to the perfect sacrifice that would bring lasting and true reconciliation with God. When God sent his divine son into the world, the person we call Jesus, he was born as a baby, he lived a perfect life, and then he gave his life as the perfect sacrifice for sins. He died bearing that death penalty for sin. And he rose showing that his cure works. He rose to show that his sacrifice was more than enough to reconcile us to God. In a sense, in a sense, that's what's happening here in John chapter 20. To his disciples who had recently abandoned him, to his disciples who had abandoned him in his hour of greatest need, Jesus shows up and doesn't scold them. He says, peace, peace to you, shalom, reconciliation. And they are here at the beginning, the beginning of a whole community of people reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. As verse 21 continues, they are not only reconciled by Jesus, they are sent by Jesus. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I send you into this world. Then they are symbolically empowered by Jesus. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He is symbolically acting out ahead of time what would happen 50 days later when the Holy Spirit came upon them all on a day called Pentecost. So they are sent, they are empowered, and they are commissioned with a message. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. God is the one who forgives sin. But his reconciled people go and proclaim his message of reconciliation. And for those who believe that message, for those who receive the peace offering that is Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven in full. But for those who reject that message, their sins are not forgiven. And if you've not yet believed on Jesus, please understand the pandemic of sin has infected you too. There is no vaccine, but there is a cure, Jesus Christ. That's one aspect of this peace, one aspect of this shalom, the background of Jesus' statement here in John 20, reconciliation. There's another aspect as well, restoration. Peace as, as restoration. And, and restoration is really the bigger umbrella idea here. Alvin Plantiga says that sin, sin is the vandalism of shalom. Sin is spraying graffiti all over this peace. And that's what has happened. This entire world has been marred by sin. Sometimes we sing a hymn that says, This is my Father's world. He shines in all that's fair. And that's true. His glory screams out from every mountain, every beautiful sunset, every animal and fish and bird. 
But that's not the whole picture. This beautiful world is also profoundly broken. That's what Danny Glover's character, the tow truck driver, understood. When he said, everything's supposed to be different than what it is here, he was saying, in fact, there's supposed to be, there's supposed to be safe, friendly communities among us. And it's supposed to be that if someone's car breaks down, people try to help him out, not rip him off. And it's supposed to be that we have cities and, and societies filled with peace and mutual care and respect and love, but we don't. This world is incredibly beautiful and utterly broken. But with the Old Testament prophets, with the Old Testament prophets, you start to see this shalom, this peace, described in terms of a, a cosmic restoration, a worldwide transformation. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 2, nations will turn implements of warfare into implements of agriculture. Tanks and missiles today get turned into John Deere tractors because there will be no war anymore. In Isaiah chapter 11, we're told the wolf and the lamb lie down together without the wolf trying to eat the lamb. In fact, it says the small child will play over the hole of the cobra and not be harmed. You ask, how could that possibly be? Isaiah tells us, the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The prophet Joel describes it as a day, a day when the mountains shall drip sweet wine. Now, now Chardonnay flowing down Mount Helix might not be your thing, but you get the point. It's a poetic picture of beauty and abundance, of safety and security, of perfect shalom, perfect peace in this world. But what could possibly bring such a restoration, such a transformation? It seems impossible. This is a, a humpty dumpty world. There's been such a great fall that all the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put it all back together again. It seems hopeless to us. But that's where Easter comes in. As Isaiah the prophet tells us in words we usually hear at Christmas, words written around 700 BC, quote, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Easter is about that Prince of Peace entering this world, dying for sins, and rising from the grave, ultimately to restore everything that has been broken. This is hinted at in our passage. When Jesus breathes on his disciples, saying, Receive the Holy Spirit. That word breathe is, is a rare word in the original language. It's used only there in the New Testament. It does show up, though, a few times in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, including Genesis chapter 2, 
verse 7. In the original creation account, the first creation, when God forms the first man, it says, from the dust of the ground, he breathed. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. In John chapter 20, Jesus is echoing that first creation. Jesus is sort of mimicking that first creation to highlight his coming new creation, the ultimate restoration. As Jesus says in the book of Revelation, Behold, behold, I am making all things new. That's what the Prince, the Prince of Peace will accomplish. His resurrection is the down payment on that promise. His resurrection is the first installment of that new creation. His resurrection is the movie trailer for the main feature when perfect shalom, perfect peace is accomplished. Jesus conquering the grave, Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus conquering death itself is a preview of that coming perfect peace. The brokenness of this world, it's like a, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. A good thing has been shattered into so many pieces. But this peace, this restoration, is like the picture on the jigsaw box. It's what this world looks like when all the pieces are put back together again. This shalom, this peace, is what it looks like when all things are put back into how they're supposed to be. The picture on the box has been given to us in glimpses in places like Revelation 21, where we're told that God will dwell with us, that, that fellowship with his people forever. And God himself will be with us as our God. It says, quote, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Imagine that. He will wipe away every single tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Easter is a preview of that. Easter is the movie trailer for when the main feature comes and death shall be no more. So I want to ask you, where does your life feel like that jigsaw puzzle shattered into so many pieces? Where, where do you need this peace, this shalom, this restoration? Where for you is that sense of Everything's supposed to be different than what it is here. It might be in your relationships, in your marriage, or with the kids, or with your parents, or extended family. Times of sheltering in place can put a lot of strain on those relationships. Maybe you're feeling that. It might be in your body, in sickness, or disease, or just the aging process. It might be in your soul. The fear, that worry, that anxiety. Maybe you even feel like your, your soul is in the spiritual fetal position, curled up in the corner. You know, hopelessness and, and suffering can do that to us. For you and me, 
Jesus' words, peace be with you, are more than just a greeting. They're an invitation. They're an invitation to hope. They're an invitation to taste something of this peace right now. As Romans chapter 15, verse 13 tells us, May the God of hope, the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace, and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's what I want to call you to this Easter. Joy and peace by believing. By believing. Believe his peace of reconciliation. Recognize the ultimate pandemic of sin, your sin and mine. I'm not saying all the brokenness of creation is your fault, but be honest with God about your part, your sin. Where have you fallen short? Where have you, in effect, turned your back on God? We all have. We all do. Acknowledge that. And turn to Christ believing. Trust in his once-for-all sacrifice for your sins. Trust in his peace offering to reconcile you to God. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic unfolding at Easter time is very, very fitting in a way. It puts issues of death and eternity right in front of our faces, and we need that. Steve Jobs, founder of Apple Computer, after he was diagnosed with cancer, he gave a rather famous commencement address at Stanford University. He said in part, remembering that I'll be dead soon, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered for helping me with the big choices in life. Because almost everything falls away in the face of death, he said, leaving only what is truly most important. Look, how will you use this most important tool, as Steve Jobs called it? Everything falls away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly most important. How will you respond? Easter is bringing you what is truly most important. How will you respond? I urge you to come to Jesus Christ, trusting in his life, death, and resurrection to reconcile you to God, and then you can know peace with God and the peace of God in your heart. There are some simple phrases that can help you understand that response. They are sorry, Thank you. Please, those aren't magical words, but they describe the response I'm talking about. Saying sorry to God for your sins, acknowledging sin as sin and turning from it. Then saying thank you, thank you for dying. Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. Thank you. And then saying please, please take away my sins. Please come into my life and reconcile me to God. And for all who genuinely come to Christ, he says, I will never drive you away. Believe his peace of reconciliation. And secondly, believe his peace of restoration as well. 
Easter connects the perfect picture on the jigsaw box with the scattered pieces of our lives. Easter connects that sure, certain future with our uncertain present. Easter is that coming transformation invading this present world because Jesus Christ has conquered the grave and conquered death itself. His resurrection is the down payment, the first installment, the movie trailer for the main feature to come, that perfect shalom, perfect restoration. And believing that brings hope, friends, hope that cannot be touched by anything else. Allow me one more movie illustration. I watched recently in our shut-in time here the classic movie Shawshank Redemption. It's free on Netflix. It's not a family-friendly movie for young children, but it's, it's good. The main character, Andy, has been wrongly convicted of murdering his wife. He's sent to jail. While in jail, he, he gains the favor of the warden eventually. And he's in the warden's office one day when Andy's long-awaited shipment of books and music for the prison library arrives. Andy locks the warden's office door and puts on the prison PA system this beautiful Mozart opera. So operatic voices and, and Mozart's music fills the entirety of the prison, and, and the movie shows all the prisoners stopping and listening in awe. Morgan Freeman's character says, they all felt free in that moment. Well, Andy is put into solitary confinement for this. He finally gets out of solitary, and the other prisoners ask him, why'd you do it? That was crazy. And Andy replies, you need that. So you don't forget. So you don't forget that there's something inside they can't get to. Something inside they can't touch. Hope. That's what this Easter hope is like. A hope for you that nothing else can touch or take away. A hope for you that is untouchable by current circumstances and current trials and current difficulties because it's rooted in a coming future reality. A hope that transcends present troubles and can carry you through them. You see, everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. But Easter is the promise that one day it will be different. Until then, Jesus Christ speaks these words to you by the presence of the Holy Spirit, saying, Peace be with you this morning. Let's pray. Father, I ask you, I ask you on this Easter morning, with the promise of reconciliation and the promise of restoration before us, that you would meet everyone watching this video, that we would turn to you for reconciliation, that we would hope in the perfect peace offering of Jesus Christ to take away our sins and bring us to you. And we would hope as well in your coming future restoration, 
Lord, for those who feel beaten down right now, those who feel even hopeless in the spiritual fetal position, curled up maybe spiritually in a corner, minister hope right now, I ask you. Take away the hopelessness and grant to each of us a hope that nothing can take away because it's rooted in you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.